0: Y'all see what's in here? Y'all see that? You see little buddy in there? See little buddy? His name's Mason. Mason Reed. He's a loser. Um. Yeah, I woke up last night and um and uh from a dream. And um Because I thought I heard cell phones. It was like hell. Seriously, ladies, I think that there's um there could be a section. I don't know how hell works, but there definitely could be like a incessant non-stop cell phone ringing section that uh, some people may go to, and it would be very bad. Um, and so for you ladies, if you don't know, the girls played a, uh, played a uh, prank, practical joke on the guys at Fall Retreat and had cell phones going off about every 10, 15 minutes from 3.30 up until, I guess, after I left to go take Tom to the airport. And um, so, needs to say, I didn't get any rest that night. Anybody, hey you want some coffee? I'm just kidding, just kidding, good, good. come on, just kidding, alright, <clears throat> well if you didn't make it the fall retreat, um, sorry, um, had a good time, we're going to try to, we'll probably get those podcasts up for y'all this week if you want to uh, listen to those, um, I'm hoping we can doctor them because they didn't come very, they didn't come come through very clearly on when we recorded them, um, so hopefully we can work on that and get those doctored for you, but um if you didn't go, I'm just gonna do like a, a brief synopsis as it relates to last week, um, last week Tuesday night fall retreat, and then tonight. Uh, that last week if you weren't here. We talked about loving others. This that says you love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And we just talked about the reality that there's this condition that if you don't love yourself, you can't effectively love your neighbor. So we kind of just dialogued about that. What does that mean? And what does it mean to really love ourselves? Not in an egotistical manner, but just recognizing that. God has moved in our lives. God has blessed us. And if God loves us and calls us to love the things that he loves, and he loves us and our weakness, then, we can, then we're called to love ourselves. And that then our, our love and freedom of you know, loving ourselves in for our brokenness and weakness actually then frees us up and allows us to love others in the midst of their brokenness and their weakness. And so this, this, this uh, on Fall Retreat, uh, Tom, uh, talking about a lot of different things, but the ultimate gist of what Tom talked about was that we need to do everything we possibly can to live in this high relationship with Jesus, this place of joy and excitement, this place where where God is moving and moving in our lives, and we're connected to Him and we're enjoying that. That even there may be difficulty along the way, but reality is in our relationship with Him, in our heart connection to Him, that He is near to us, and therefore we can be excited about life. And so, we, so he talked about that and talked about this, how the obstacles of sin get in the way of that and how we need to deal with those immediately, right? And then we need to have repentance. And then he talked about the idea of being connected to the Holy Spirit. He talked about it's been a good time talking about the Holy Spirit and praying for that and it's recognizing that we need the Holy Spirit. We need Him to move in us. We need Him to bless us. We need Him to draw us near to Jesus. Basically, we are in desperate need of the Holy Spirit moving in every area of our life, and that we need to pray and ask God to continue to fill us over and over and over and over again, to to not get drunk with wine, but be filled, be continually filled, being filled with the Holy Spirit over and over and over again. And that's how we need to live our lives, daily saying, Jesus, I need you to come and fill me, basically take over my life. And so I want to say tonight that that whole mindset is ultimately the thing that allows us and enables us to love our neighbors um, around us, being filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in this relationship with Him, of, of knowing what He thinks and how He feels about us, and the freedom that comes within the context of a healthy relationship. How many of you have ever thought, once you get into a relationship, how much more freedom you seem to have in your life because you weren't depressed, you weren't looking over here all the time, for, at least for those of you who are struggling being single? It's like sometimes you just feel greater freedom in a relationship because it's like all these other thoughts I wrestled with I don't have because I'm actually dating somebody. And the context of that as it relates to Jesus is that when we really get into this relationship with him that's thriving and moving and active and filled with excitement, that we literally find this greater fulfillment and this freedom that enables us to live our lives of greater joy and greater compassion and greater love for those around us. And so as as we talk about tonight, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 1. I'm going to begin to talk about kind of marrying those two things, this idea of the Holy Spirit, the idea of loving our neighbor, Um, And what that looks like for us on an everyday, regular basis. Um, And that call to us of Acts chapter 1. I am reading from the New American Standard, I believe, um, which is not very conversational. Um, So, uh, if you have your Bible, you can read along, and you may like your translation better, and that's good. If you don't have your Bible, I'm sorry. You've got to put up with this. It'll still be good, though. All right. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The first account I composed, Theophilus... Just know real quick that Luke is writing. Luke wrote the book of Luke, and then his second installment was the Acts of the Apostle. Okay, so it's Luke, the physician. First account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these apostles he also presented himself alive after his suffering. "...by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of forty days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. Which he said, You heard of from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel?" He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now, I love this picture here of of Acts chapter 1, specifically this idea of the Holy Spirit coming. Now, the thing you need to know about the Holy Spirit being sent was this was Jesus' great act of love for his people. That he didn't want to leave them empty-handed. He didn't, he didn't want to leave them alone. So he was going to leave his Holy Spirit, the exact same Spirit that had empowered him to do miracles, right? And to hear the voice of God, the same Holy Spirit that had spoken to him and that had drawn him near to God. And, all these, and the same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus now was going to reside within the apostles. And Jesus saying, it's going to be great for you. I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit. He's going to fill you. He's going to lead you. He's going to guide you. He's going to teach you. He's going to train you. It's going to be good. And in verse 8 it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even the remotest part of the earth. The thing I want you to begin to see tonight as we talk about this idea of loving other people is this, that we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We need to be walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to know Him and walk with Him and hear His voice if we're going to be living in this life that God's created for us, specifically in its ability to love other people. Three things I want to say to you, just real quick to begin, about the Holy Spirit is this. Jesus wants to empower us through the Holy Spirit. He wants to empower us, one, to live victoriously over sin. If you want to live in victory over the sin maybe that easily entangles you to sin in your life, then you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to allow Him every day to lead you and to guide you and to control and guide and lead your life. The second thing is this. Jesus wants to empower us to live in relationship with Him. He wants to empower us to live in relationship with Him. When the Holy Spirit comes, He He comes to speak. He comes to empower us to be in relationship with Him. We need the Holy Spirit to do this. And the third thing is this. When the Holy Spirit comes, He comes to empower us to do ministry. In essence, He, he empowers us to be Jesus to the world. He empowers us to do what Jesus did. Ultimately, He empowers us, in the bigger picture is to love other people. When the Holy Spirit comes, He empowers us. He fills us with love. He fills us with compassion for those who are around us. And He empowers us to do this through His Holy Spirit. So this reality then of walking in the Spirit is, is something that's, that's needed in all of our lives. And the thing that we see then is that when He empowers us, He then empowers us and empowers His followers, as it says in the second part of verse 8, to be his witnesses. Now, all of you know what a witness is. All of you have watched enough television to know what a witness is. You've watched enough law shows. You know that, and there are like three shows that are really big now on television. It's like these supernatural shows, these like sex shows, and then and then this uh, uh, this this whole law. Show. That's the whole thing, right? There's those three types of shows. You don't talk about the sex show. These things, like, that's just their major thrust, right? And you had these law shows. Now, in the law shows, you've all seen this. You've seen the movies, right? You're looking for the eyewitness of something that might have happened, right? And the witness has this power. Witnesses have a power. They have the power either to say, you are guilty because I watched you do it, or they have the power to prove innocence by saying, no, it was not him. It was not her. See, those who are witnesses have power. That's exactly what this word is, is referencing here in verse 8. It's specifically a legal term. A legal term representing exactly what you think of as being a witness. Someone who comes and speaks on behalf of someone else. You see, when Jesus says this, he's basically saying this. Now, when I leave, I will not physically be present here on earth ever ever again, at least until I come back. But I, will, I will never be physically present here on earth to specifically speak on my behalf. So I'm going to leave you as my legal witnesses to proclaim truth about what you have seen and about what you have heard. And so when Jesus says here, he's like, listen, you will now be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the remotest part of the earth. He's saying this, I'm going to let you be my representatives and you are going to speak on my behalf. You will defend my name. You will speak on my behalf and say, this is what truth is about this living God that I believe in Jesus. This is truth about his life because I witnessed it. Because I've been in a relationship with him. I've spoken about him, spoken with him. I know him. You are my witnesses on the earth. So we are called. We are called. Not just the apostles here, but we are now called in the same type thing to be God's Witnesses. In the earth and on the earth. We are called to be His representatives and to speak on His behalf through the power of the Holy Spirit, walking with Him daily, knowing Him and listening to Him and walking in obedience to Him every day. God's saying, now through the power of your Holy Spirit, I'm calling you to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now, sitting up here in front of me, is this little bitty thing of water? What's inside of it? Somebody tell me, what's inside of this? A little fish. Right? Now let me just ask you this question, just real quick. This is a hard question. Now you all know that I love the fish. Right? That's like that's like a that's like my passion. Now, I've got, you know, I've got I've got a bunch of poles, right? When I go by a body of water, my, I have an initial thought everywhere I go. I wonder if I can catch fish in there, because I always whenever I go, right, I have to look and think, man, I, bet I could probably catch a fish out of there. And I mean, would it, would it be a whole lot of fun for me to get on my fishing gear, get my seven-foot rod, right, my big old reel, and sit here and try to cast into that little bitty glass thing of water? Would it make a lot of sense? Is that fun? If, if I hook that thing, I'm going to kill it right Because my hook is, my hook is bigger than the fish it'd go right through right and he, he I mean I'm just saying I'm just saying if there's no there's, there's, I'm not my pole's not here, don't worry, right like I'm not going to reach in there and try to go fishing for this is it belly up? No, he's alive see he's, he's good. he's good. there you go see he goes He heard me talking and got scared so anyway, like it wouldn't do all the good for me, would it? Because fishing in a fishbowl, it's just not fun, right? I used to tell my buddy when we were playing soccer, and like, we used to play soccer in our house. And, and, he, would, and he would just run up, and like literally like, the goal would be right here. I'd be standing here, and he'd get right here. And he'd kick it as hard as he could. And look, and he John, the close ones just aren't fun, you know? It's like, they're just not fun. You're this far away. You're going to score. It's going to hurt me, you know? It's like, the close ones just aren't fun, and the same is true here. Fishing had a little bitty fishbowl, a little bitty minnow like this in it, That it wouldn't even be a good bait. So don't, don't worry. It wouldn't even be good bait. It's so little, right? It's just, it's not good for fishing. It's just not fun. It's just not fun. But the other part about fishbowls is this they're just boring. Like, I don't know if you have fish for pets, and that's okay if you do, right? But I like pets that actually jump up into my lap, right? Or they come up and start licking me. Or that I can lay down and actually take a nap with. Like, I'm probably not going to be reaching my hand in here, right? Putting next to me and start cuddling up and say, oh, little fish, you're so good to see, right? Like, this so you can know if you touch a fish, it'll die because it'll take all this this protective slime off its body. So it's like, it's just not good for it to take it out and start trying to cuddle with it, right? If you squeeze too hard, you'll literally squish it to death. It's It's just not a warm fuzzy. Life in a fishbowl is not very exciting. The most exciting thing that happens is that someone else walks up. Because the scenery changes, right? Because that's the only thing that happens. If fish all day long, they just do this in a fishbowl, right? Like, seen that before? Yep, yep, seen that before. Nothing new. Oh, here comes somebody. Please don't knock on the glass, you know? It's that whole thing, right? It's like there's this whole mentality. It's like, it's just not fun. So, it's not fun fishing in a fishbowl, and it's just not fun to be in a fishbowl. It just isn't. Like, have you ever seen Finding Nemo? Have you ever seen Finding Nemo? <laughs> Finding Nemo. Is it, it, I, I watched the movie, oh, I don't know, how's it has 200 times in about two months. It's the only movies our girls would watch. And literally, we'd watch it three times a day. It was, just, it was hilarious. And so, so, so I know Nemo, right? And the story about Nemo, there's this 2 whole storyline thing going. You've got one. The little Nemo has been taken by this mean human Australian you know, diver, and he takes him and puts him, him in this mean big old aquarium, right? This little fish tank with all these little fish, right? And one storyline is the father, Marlin who is really a stick in the mud, right? He, he's lost his wife, and so he's, he lives in fear. It's always the fear of the unknown. And so he literally conquers fear and grows in faith and trust in the reality that life is dangerous, right? And, and, and trust and makes builds friendships. And these people he never would have known in his life because he actually stepped out of his little world that he was in a seeing them anemone, and he stepped out of that, right, the sea anemone, that's what he lived in, right, stepped out of that, and he went to find Nemo. And he grew, right, it was just a huge explosion of his life. He had incredible stories now to tell. The other storyline is, is the Nemo, the celebrity clownfish, who's living in this mean old human Australian's fish tank. I'm glad it wasn't American, right, it's always, the Americans always are the bad people, at least was Australians this time, right? And so it's like, you've got them sitting there, and, and, and Gil, Y'all know who Gill is, right? Gill's this other sea fish. He's the only other fish in the whole fish tank who's actually from the ocean. And he says this to somewhere. I, I, I'm paraphrasing. I think this is what he said, but somewhere close. He says this to Nemo. Gil says this to Nemo. He says, fish aren't made to live in fish bowls, kid. It does something to them. And then you see him, and they're all going around. You see one guy's like eating you don't know, eating trash and other fishes are like she's literally talking to her, so she's got split personalities, right? And they're just, they're just, they're just, they're just out of whack. I mean, really, they're just weird, right? He says it's just, you know, it's just a whole idea, right? He's saying, he's saying this idea: that fish aren't made to live in fishbowls, kid. It just does something to them. So, what's the point? What's the point of the fishbowl mentality? Well, here's the, here's here's the point: as Christians. We live in our little Christian bubble that, in my opinion, is just like this fishbowl. It's boring. We are so inoculated from the rest of the world that we think the world literally revolves around this fish thing. And the only time we get excited is when something else happens over here. We're not really touching it, right? Or when something does come near to us, it's scary. We're like, oh my gosh, no, stay away, you know? We live in this whole mentality of fishbowl world. This little inoculated Christian world that's just not realistic, right? There's no adventure to it. And so we sit here around each other all day long, talking about community and loving one another, and instead all we're really doing is sitting in our fishbowl, never really engaging a world outside of ourselves that actually involves danger and involves risk. It involves a culture outside of ourselves we know nothing about. We've completely disconnected ourselves from anyone outside of our little circle. And our life is boring. boring. And it's like sitting there trying to fish in a fishbowl. There's nothing going on. Jesus says, I've called you to be fishers of men. And all we do all day long is sit next to our fishbowl and we fish. And let me just tell you, as a fisherman, it is no fun fishing in a fishbowl. We've been called out of our fishbowl. We've been called out to go places and do things, to live the life of adventure, to engage a cult the culture outside of ourselves, empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit, to love our neighbors as ourselves as we're called out to say, God, now I'm going to leave this safe environment, God, that I think is safe. And I'm going to go engage a world that's different than what I'm used to. Because that's the place of adventure. And God, that's what it means to love my neighbor as myself. It means to get out and be a witness to a world in need of you. They need a witness to say, no, actually, actually, let me tell you about the Jesus that I've met. Because Jesus is not going to speak necessarily on his own. He's looking for us to share and to speak and to talk about him. And not being weird about it. Not getting up in Bible study. we let me tell you about Jesus, right? But in the context of a healthy, life-giving relationship, we're going to talk about these four things tonight. But I believe that ultimately it, it, it involves us loving our neighbors as ourself, being empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that. What does that look like? What do we need to do? So again, Acts eight says, I have empowered you with my spirit, right? I'm giving you my spirit to be witnesses, to be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and even to their remotest part of the earth. So what does this look like for us? Being a witness, getting outside of our fishbowl, our Christian circle, and actually engaging a world. First thing is this. We have to stop fishing in the fishbowl. Stop fishing in the fishbowl. This means we have to get out of our bubble and go to places and people who are in need. And then don't ruin your testimony by being being someone who's not actually acting like Jesus. There is nothing more frustrating to me than Christians who don't actually go out in the in the power of the Holy Spirit to the culture. They go out to the, they go out to the culture and become like everyone else. And they waste everyone's, everyone's time. They destroy the testimony of the witness that God has sent. But we've been called out in the power of the Holy Spirit, walking like Jesus did, outside of our little Christian bubble, our little fish tank and go out outside of our culture and engage a world in need the second thing is we have to embrace real existence embrace real existence what do i mean by that we must begin to give our lives to people and engage them right where they are and our goal is not to get them to church Our goal is to engage people in their real life. That's what I mean, to embrace real existence. There's an old Chinese poem that says this, Go to the people, live among them, learn from them, love them, start with what they know, and build on what they have. I'll say it again. Go to the people and live among them, learn from them, and love them. Start with what they know and build on what they have. God has called us out of the, the, the fish tank, the bubble, and to go and engage people, not with an agenda, but for the sole purpose of figuring out what their likes and their dislikes are what their passions in life are, what the causes are that they're getting behind, finding out what their true weaknesses and struggles and fears and concerns are, figuring out what do they love and are really excited about and the things that they, just, they love to talk about and the things that they really, really engage on a regular basis. Basically, it's just going and engaging them in a real and relevant, life-giving friendship type way. We need to identify with people we need to identify, engage them, and re- like identify, become like them in a sense of understanding them, knowing who they are. To identify with people will mean that we must try to enter into something of their culture, to seek to understand their perspectives, their grievances and their causes, their real existence. Here's something important. People aren't going to listen to someone that they don't think likes them. Are you best friends of people you know just don't like you? who act like they don't like you, who get annoyed and frustrated at you everything that you do. No, you like people who like you, who don't put agendas on you, who don't tell you how to live your life. You want to be friends with people who, just, who let you figure things out, who just love you right where you are. You let them speak honestly and truthfully, right? Because they love you, but they do it in a loving way. Real existence is that way. We like, let people live their lives. We come alongside of them. We share with them as we can. We, t- we speak truth to them, but we love them right where they are, right? That we go to people. We live among them. We learn from them. We love them. We start with what they know and build on what they don't know, or what they build on what they have. Several years ago when I was living in Athens, uh, I went through a season where I basically went downtown about about two or three nights every week. Uh, for about three or four months, because I had really had during the winter months, and I would made some friends with some guys downtown, and they were primarily—I'm trying to think—primarily African American homeless guys, and there were about six or seven of them that I had become really good friends with, and I would really we would go downtown, spend you know a couple hours, a couple three hours, and we'd go get coffee, we'd go to Wendy's, we'd just hang out on the streets, whatever. And I'll never forget this one night, Ronald. i would met Ronald a couple weeks before, and he and I had seen each other about two or three times. I hung out and that night. I saw him, we went down, and we're at this intersection where there's a light, and we're sitting on this side, I think I told the story before, if you haven't heard it, good, if not, if you have heard it before, then just do it again. But we're sitting there, Ronald and I, and this car drives up, we just I kind of just, out of our periphery, I see it over here, and so he and I both, in unison, turn and look at this car, and as I turn, and he turns, the woman, about a 65, 70-year-old woman, with her husband... Turns at the same time and looks at us, and she does this. She goes, like that. And gets scared. And I see her do this. She goes, and clicks down the lock and looks away from us. Now, I looked and I looked back and looked straight at Ron because I want to see what his response would be. And it was like somebody had just punched him in the gut. That old lady, primarily. Because what she had just done is stereotyped him into the the black scary homeless man, right? How many of you have, I'm not, well, you probably shouldn't raise your hands, but how many of you have probably done that? You've seen a black scary homeless man, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm the bad part of town. Click <laughs> your and lock your door. Your dad, so you, you ladies tell your dad, says, you better do that next time you see that black homeless man over there, he's scary. Stereotyping them, right? So I'm sitting there, and my first thought is this I'm broken for Ronald, because I know Ronald. I talked to him. I know where I, I know the bad decisions that have led him to the streets. I know what's going on. He's not a bad guy. He's not one of those druggy types, you know. He just made some bad decisions, right? He doesn't have anything. He's literally living on the streets. He has some friends he's connected with, but he's really a good guy. And I know he's, and in that moment, I know that he's just broken. He's just been stereotyped in the black homeless man who's scary. But then it hits me, sitting on that street, that. What had just happened wasn't that Ronald had only been stereotyped, but I'd gotten stereotyped too. Because when she looked at me, she didn't see white, white preppy college student. She saw this guy with his hat down low, looking, wearing this big jacket, and his boots and his jeans with a hole in him, and thought, there's a white scary homeless man too. <laughs> They're friends. They're scary homeless people living together. Honey, did you see that over there? It's a black and a white man sitting together. They're homeless, and I recognized at that moment that I just got stereotyped. Do you know what happened in that moment? Identification. Ronald recognized at the same time. I tell you, at that moment when we had this connection of realizing that had just happened, it opened up our opened up doors for relationship. We continued to sit and, for the rest of the night having conversation because we had just identified. Together because of this mean, scary old woman who didn't like people and thought that black men were from the devil. And the white scary guy who was in college was scary too. He's probably from the devil too. Screw her. Identification. That's what I thought. I'm telling you what I thought that night, honestly. I was just like, oh, my gosh. I was so offended, but in a good way. The Lord obviously spoke to me through that. So identification, that's what I'm talking about. It looks different in your life, right, And the way you are identifying people right where they are, this understanding that um, everyone's different, but that we need to identify people, become good friends with them, sit down. Not necessarily a homeless black man named Ronald. Maybe someone in your class. Someone in your job, it may be a homeless man or woman, engage them. Identify with them. Here's just a thought for you, for all you good conservative Republicans. (laughs) Do you know that abortion is wrong? What if your best friend gets pregnant, comes to you and says, I'm having an abortion. And you talk to her about it and she says, I know what you think. And I know you think abortion is wrong. And I know you think it's killing. But I've made that decision. And, nothing, and, I, and I, I don't want you to talk to me about it. I just want you to love me. And I want you to go to the, the abortion clinic with me while I get my abortion. What do you do? Do you say, well, God says that's wrong and evil and I'm not going to go with you. Or, do you? or do you go with her and say, I will sit with you You're right, I don't agree, but I love you. And I know that when you walk in those doors, Jesus will walk with you. And if he'll walk with you, I'll walk with you. And what do you do when you have some of those crazies out there who are calling you a murderer because you're walking in? Do you defend yourself? You say, no, 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 I'm just here to support. I'm being Jesus. I'm not really with her. I'm just with her. Or do you actually hold her tight and walk in those doors? To sit down and sit with her as she goes through the procedure. That's identification. That's getting in with people where they are. That's loving them right where they are. Maybe you chew on that a little bit. The third thing that we must do that looks like in us getting out is this we must communicate effectively. We must communicate effectively. If we're really going to be witnesses to God, then we we need to know how to speak to people. We need to know how to witness effectively, be a witness, to share effectively with people. See, every culture has its own language, its own stories, and its own belief structures. And if we're going to communicate the news of Jesus and be a witness of the news of Jesus to someone, we must be able to share that message in a way that is relevant to them and in a way which they can understand. In essence, we must put the message in context to the world that people live in, whereby the constant message of the gospel interacts with the specific and relative human situation that person is in. There's a friend of mine who, in the last couple of years, has come to Christ. And, and when I first met him, he, I asked him, So, what do you think about God? You know, I'm a, you know, I'm a pastor, I'm a man of the cloth, as he would call me. It's like, you know, what do you, he's like, I said, What do you think about God? And he's like, Well, you know, I, I like God. When things are going bad, you know, I'll, I'll go to him. Other than that, I don't think about him very much. He wasn't a Christian. He says, "I'm not a Christian." And I'm like, oh, "All right, well, cool, man. Let's, we're playing golf, right? We continue to play golf. and We just have conversations. and He asked me questions, and so on and on and on and on. I, he just asked me question after question. We'd hang out, we would talk, and we would dialogue and talk about Jesus. And ultimately, this past Easter, he gave his life to Jesus. Right? It was really cool. It was exciting. Exciting moment. He's not still talking. He's still got a lot of growing to do, but he's, he is moving forward, right? It's an exciting thing. And I'll never forget that he said to me one night watching the Atlanta, Atlanta the Atlanta uh, Northern Saints game. He said to me, he said, Steve, he said, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you because you put things into words that I understand. You take these theological Christian stuff and you actually put it into words that make sense to me. What did that look like for me? Well it meant for every time we get together, I would just dialogue with him about life. And I figure out, means that he loves college football. He loves this over here, right? He loves his family. He loves this. And so everything that I would explain would be in the context of family and his love for his children. I would talk about it in love for his wife, relationship with his wife. I'd talk about it in the context of college football. It's like when you press in, like your offensive line presses in, you know, that kind of stuff, right? It's like I put it in a language that he would understand. Why? Because I'd taken the time to learn how to communicate effectively because I figured out what way he's passionate about in life, the things that, that, he made, that made sense to him. And so I would literally have to sit there and figure out how do I put this into context of what he understands? He'd ask me questions like, why do bad things happen to good people? And I would put that into football terms. Don't ask me how I did it, I don't remember. But I remember at the time thinking, man, that was really profound. That was great. Man, thank you, Lord. It's like, how am I able to put that into his, his language? I remember talking about some of the things with his children. He's like, "Oh my gosh!" He had this explosion of understanding of God's love for him he had never known before. Well, a really, uh, an example of how, at least in missions throughout history, the way the church has missed it in communicating effectively to a culture was this. So it was the, the uh, what's it called? The I got to look it up again. This was this tribe in Zimbabwe called the Zanaki tribe. Now the Zanaki tribe were trying to be were a, were a people group that the, the the British colonies wanted to reach out to. And so they came in the Zanaki tribe, and their their major key scripture that they brought to the people about sharing about Jesus was Revelation verse three, chapter 3, verse 20. It says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him or her, and he with me. Okay. And so they would use this verse. Now, it made complete sense to the British culture, which is very similar to ours. Who, when we're in our home, we will keep our door closed, a lot of times locked. And if someone wants to come in, they'll come and knock on the door. We'll figure out who they are, either by letting us know, or just by seeing through the little peephole or whatever it may be. And then we, we invite them to come in if we want to. And so they went preaching this message. See, behold, Jesus stands at the door and he knocks. And he knocks and he, when it comes into, he wants to come into your heart. But what they didn't realize in the Zanaki tribe that in their culture, in their village, they didn't have doors. They just had an open door like that back door over there. It's just literally open. If someone came in, and because it was such a small tribe, they would just say, hey, Jimmy. And because it was so small, they knew each other's voices, and they didn't have to knock or be seen because... Their voice was heard. In fact, the only people who knocked on doors were thieves. The thief would walk up to the door and knock just to see if someone were there. If someone moved or someone said something, they would immediately know to turn away and run off so they wouldn't get caught. And so what was happening is that the British were coming in saying, Behold, a common thief stands at the door and knocks and hopes you aren't home so we can steal everything that you have. They were completely irrelevant to the culture of the Zanaki tribe. They hadn't learned. They hadn't spent time with them. They didn't realize they didn't have front doors. They didn't realize though what they should have focused on was the second part of the verse. It says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. If they had just focused on that part and said, behold, Jesus stands at the door and says, here I am. That would have been completely culturally relevant to where they were. So what does that look like for us on a practical level? It means that you need to engage in a relationship with people, figure out what they like. These, these people who are living as part of the world who don't know Jesus, engage them in such a way that they learn. you learn how to speak to them. You learn know what they're passionate about, what they're excited about, and you engage that. The fourth thing that you need to do and we need to do is this. We need to make friendship the goal. We make friendship our primary goal. You see, in this missional church, this church that actually goes out to people and gets outside of the fishbowl and stops fishing in the fishbowl, they're the ones who go out to a world in need. And they will spend more time building friendships than on building religious programs. A missionally minded person is not as much worried about getting people saved as they are in getting people to start thinking about their life thinking about their existence, their meaning, and their purpose for living. See, what they really do is engage in a relevant friendship, and they know that it's it's a a successful, successful thing if they actually become friends with that person. If you put an agenda on relationship, then there's no trust there because people think you're trying to sell them something. They don't really think you like them for who they are, but for what you can get out of them. You don't engage a person in relationship to get them saved. You engage them in a relationship just to be their friend. And in the context of that, you are yourself, which is fill with the Holy Spirit and talking about Jesus when the opportunities are available, and they ask questions and they seek. We want people to start searching. We want to help them begin this journey of moving towards the one that we've fallen in love with. That is what it means to love people. That's what it means to love people, that we're engaging them in real life-giving friendship, right? That we've gotten out of our fishbowl and actually engaging people in the world who are in need. who are embracing people in their real existence, who they really are. And we're learning how to communicate effectively with them. On the back, did you uh, we get those... Um, Opportunities on the back of there. Okay, on the back of your announcement sheet. Just look at that real quick. I don't know if you saw that. What you have is opportunities to get out of your fishbowl. If you're not really excited about getting out of your fishbowl with somebody that you know or in in classes with... We wanna, we're going to connect with Volunteer UCF, and we on these certain dates, we have these opportunities for you to actually get involved, connect with people outside of your world, out part of, outside of your little fishbowl, your Christian bubble. Opportunities for you to do that, right? Some of you say, well, these aren't really super spiritual. It's okay. What we're trying to do is we're trying to engage the world, right? We're trying to engage people where they are by volunteering for them, helping them out. Read over these things. Get involved with some of them. Engage them. This is a really practical, helpful tool for you. You you can't say, well, you didn't really tell me exactly what to do. I'm telling you right now, just pick one of these. Because what happens is when you get outside and you engage people who are not in your normal circle of friends, you actually become alive. My favorite people in the world are are non-Christians. I love hanging out with them because they're not as stuffy as most Christians that I'm around. They don't live in legalism, right? They're actually fun. They engage life. Like, oh, right? right? It's like I love being around them. It, it's, it's wonderful. It helps me. It really helps me to see a different part of the heart of Jesus. I give them, oh, my gosh, I just love you. I just love you. And that helps us even get outside of our circle and come alive. So it's a really practical way for you to do that. I encourage you to do that. But don't forget these three, four things when you go out. Man, you're getting out of your fishbowl. Engage people. Love them right where they are. Don't tell them what they're doing wrong, and tell them they're sinners and going to hell, right? You go to them and say, "Man, talk to me about yourself." I mean, what are you? What, do you love? What, 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 what are you excited about? What are you planning on doing when you get older? What are you going to do when you grow up? You know, just have these relevant, real conversations. Okay. So this fishbowl portrays many of our lives, right? We've given we've been given a mandate to share Jesus everywhere we go, right? To be to to share the mission of Jesus, basically to go into to share and to be witnesses of who he is, right? And ultimately, this is how we love our neighbor, by being Jesus to them. We've been called to get out of our bubble, to get out of our fishbowl and to go new places. And to do this, we must begin to embrace a new way of living for Jesus and sharing our lives with people. We must engage the culture, we must engage those around us by loving them enough to learn what they think, feel, and believe. In essence, engaging them as real friends and not as an object to change. So, if you want to know what it means and what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself, that's a picture of it tonight. And the Holy Spirit will in, em- He will empower you to do that. If you will every day lay down and say, Holy Spirit, would you fill me today? Would you engage me? Would you take control of every part of my life? And Jesus, would you help me in conversations with this person today that I'm in. God, would you open up doors for me today in class? If you've never... Listen, I'll say this and and I promise I'll be done, literally in in 30 seconds after after I say this. When's the last time you actually asked Jesus to open the door for you in class to talk to people? I went through a stretch where I said, Lord, today opened up a door for me to speak to someone. I did it for a week. This is a test to see if God if it really worked. And so every day I'd walk expecting God. To, and I'll, literally every day something happened where I could engage in a relationship. I'd see someone I hadn't seen in five or six years. I would, I would all of a sudden run to somebody. I'd like begin to dialogue with them. like was crazy. And God opened up doors for me. Like I just had three spiritual conversations and four just good life-giving phone number-exchanging conversations. Not with girls, right? You know, but it was just... Relevant, like, hey man, what's going on? Let's get together and do lunch one day, right? How many of you have ever pretended to expect God to actually open up doors for you if you asked him to? Oh my gosh, that's, oh my, I forgot God could actually open doors and do that for me. Oh, what am I thinking? Ask him to do that. And engage in that and get outside of your I mean, seriously. This is so boring. I and mean, he's cute and all. All right? It's so boring. Get out. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for tonight. I love you and thank you for your presence with us. And God, tonight I I know that we're just at a place, and Lord, uh, how do we engage this? What does this really mean? This isn't really fun and exciting. It's not really helping me live my life better. But God, I think that it is, because you've called us as a mandate to be your witnesses to the ends of the earth. You're expecting us, God, to do that. Then we can't run from that, Lord because you've called us to love our neighbors. And God, as we engage the power of the Holy Spirit, as we engage you, Holy Spirit, and and you begin to move in power through us, you will continue to bless us. God, as we're obedient in being witnesses, God, you will continue to pour out blessing after blessing after blessing. You just bless obedience. It's the Holy Spirit I'm asking tonight, God, the works that you've begun in us, those in us who want to fall retreat and begin some new work in our lives. God, would you bring that to fruition? Because ultimately, God, it will lead us to love you and to love our neighbor. To love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. And the second commandment is like it, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's what you empower us to the Holy Spirit to do. God, I ask that you would do that in Jesus' name. Amen.